to you from the KUCI headquarters in sunny Irvine, California. It's half past five with Paxton Wright. Tonight's guest, hosts of the podcast, Odyssey and Chill, it's Sarah Rodriguez and Darby Vickers, featuring music by Talos. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome your host, Paxton Wright. What's up, everybody? It's Paxton Wright. I hope you're all having a fantastic Thursday. I know I am. Now, uh, I I hope you all liked that little sign-in I did that disturbed... Ooh-ah-ah-ah-ah, that I, I opened with. Um, been mulling over doing that as a uh, as a sign-on for some time now on this show. But I've been a little hesitant. I, I've, I've run it by some folks in my life, and the response has been uh, lukewarm at best. But you know what? This is my show, and I'm going to open it however dang well I please. So from here on, I'm going to do that disturbed... Ooh-ah-ah-ah-ah. Maybe. Maybe I won't. Who knows? Uh, you know, this is this is week one of it. It's a work in progress. We'll, we'll see where I'm at next week. We'll see what headspace I'm in to do early 2000s death metal references. I think Disturbed qualifies as death metal. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'd be, I'd be a, a phony to suggest that I was aware of that. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, right. Yes, the show. Uh, I was very privileged to have on this week's episode, uh, a returning guest, good old Sarah Rodriguez, who was there on my second episode ever, as well as a, a new face, a, a non-familiar face, Darby Vickers. The two of them work together on a fantastic podcast that I can't recommend enough called Odyssey and Chill, wherein the first half of every episode is dedicated to summarizing and basically spark noting the Odyssey, Homer's the Odyssey, and then the second half they talk with a classicist about that specific section of the book. Uh, three parts, half an hour each, so you can listen to the whole thing in an afternoon if you please. That's what I did, and I loved it. Uh, so definitely encourage everybody to go check that out. Let's play a quick clip, eh? Here's something you need to know. Ithaca, where Odysseus is from, is a mess because... 1. His wife Penelope is in a bit of a predicament. She's left alone holding the fort, but she can't actually rule because she's a woman and the patriarchy is alive and well. And her father is too old to step in and her son is too young. Second, there are suitors everywhere who have made themselves at home while waiting for Penelope to choose a second husband. Third, she, Penelope is holding out the hope that Odysseus is alive because, if not, she has to marry one of these ass And remember, that's available wherever podcasts are found, as far as I can tell. Just just Google Odyssey and Chill podcast, and I guarantee you there will be links to any and every platform you can imagine. You know what to do. You know how the internet works. All right, we'll get more into the specifics of the podcast and what it was like making it etc etc in the actual uh meat of this show which is the interview with sarah rodriguez and darby vickers so that's coming up momentarily so stay tuned uh remember that if you want to email me with any questions comments 
insults, inquiries, and or advice, uh, and you just want to tell me that I should be talking more about ancient Greek mythology on this show, you're like, this is what this show should be. This is clearly Paxton's niche. Why is this not the whole focus of a show? And you want to tell me that? Well, there's a way you can do that, and you can email me at paxtonwright at org. That's P-A-X-T-O-N-W-R-I-G-H-T at K-U-C-I dot O-R-G. You thought I was going to do a silly voice like I usually do every week. No, no, sometimes, sometimes, yeah. You can't beat the classics. And by classics, I mean normal, human, everyday English. Anyway, remember you can also check out this show uh, on its podcast at KUCI colon half past five on Apple Podcasts. Pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. Good old modernity, but I respect you for listening to terrestrial radio. I think it's good that we're still supporting that. Uh, That's assuming that you are listening to this on terrestrial radio. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I have no respect for you whatsoever. Just kidding. Podcasts are the future. Hence why I've had podcast hosts on this very episode because podcasts are the future but there's a place in our hearts for terrestrial radio or there ought to be let's move on sarah rodriguez and darby vickers enjoy everybody well thank you both so much for coming in today thank you for having us much appreciated uh sarah this is actually a bit of a reunion for the show Mm -hmm. and a bit of a milestone for the show you uh and josh fader were on, I believe, the second episode of this show a while back, like last April. That's right. You know, yeah. how times have changed. Absolutely. Still doing theater and you're still doing the show. I know. <laughs> you know but we've both got, we, I both like to think we've learned a lot I in think that so. year. Right? God, I hope. <laughs> God, I mean, that's for the that's for the listeners to decide, I suppose. Uh, I'm also joined today by uh, Darby Vickers. Hello, Hi. Darby. How's how's life with you? I didn't know you a year ago. I've only met you today, but... Uh... Uh, well, certainly things have changed a lot in the last year for me. Um, one of the cool things we've done is this project, but I'm also doing a lot of other things. I am running a big conference for the first time in my academic career on February 8th and 9th, so... That's imp- I don't really know anyone that's running any conferences of any size, so that's, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a big accolade. <laughs> Yeah, it should be really fun, um, and it's about fake news, so um, that'll oh, be really interesting. Fun, not <laughs> terrifying awesome. at all. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a breeze for for the audience. Um, yeah, so I guess let's get right into it. Tell me a bit about Odyssey and Chill. Sure. So it's a it's a three episode series, and each episode is divided into sort of half of it is a summary of a section of the Odyssey. And then the other half is Darby and I talking to a classicist um, or Or a theater maker. Yeah, or Annie (laughs) um, about those sections. And so and so you you approach the uh, subject matter with a level of because it's it's scripted. So you approach it with this uh, level of casual accessibility while oh, silent, I like that. Yeah. I, like, that was that was how I found it because when I was listening to it, I was I was thinking like I haven't read the Odyssey since freshman year of high school, as I'm sure uh, is is the case <laughs> for many listeners. And I think what I found so uh, impressive just in those three episodes was that each episode only being half an hour long, you managed to have enough in there for both novices on the book whose best knowledge is that Coen Brothers movie like the, 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 <laughs> brother but, where art thou yeah uh, or uh, you know the the hardcore uh, classical scholars uh, 
So how was the process of writing that script and and getting those interviews composed in such a way that were accessible to everybody? Oh, that's a good question. There's one, one, well, first of all, thank you for listening to it. Um, I don't know. One half of me is like, I have no idea how we did that. Um, the other half, I'm thinking back. Um, I think you said something about casual accessibility, and that was really what we were going for. We wanted to create something that was accessible to anybody, and it was also, in a big part, plot-driven. So it was about understanding what happened in the Odyssey and why it's fun and why it's exciting. And we were sort of appealing to the millennial sense of humor, but it's certainly open to anybody. And the and one of the reasons for making it a podcast is because it is accessible. Anybody can download a podcast for the most part. I'm trying to think back. I'll, I'll tell you how it started. Um, I'm currently rehearsing my thesis show, which is the Penelope ad, which is a retelling of the Odyssey. So naturally, about a year ago, I was doing a lot of work on the Odyssey and a lot of research. And I wanted to find a way to make it accessible. I thought, well, if I'm doing all of this to deconstruct the Odyssey and to find a way to tell the story really quickly or in a really accessible way for a, for a creative team and for myself, I'm like, well, why not share that? And then having a completely different conversation when I was assisting at the Utah Shakespeare Festival about a completely different show, uh, a colleague in, of mine and I did a spitfire summary of another play. And I don't know, all of a sudden there was this light bulb of, oh, this should have been a podcast. And then the second light bulb was, that's what I should do with the Odyssey. And then I got back to California and thought, I have no idea how to do that. I don't even know if that's a good idea or if anybody would find that interesting. And so over wine with Darby, <laughs> I was like, hey, I have this thought. And I was totally prepared for her to be like, yeah, that already exists or that's dumb. And <laughs> much to my surprise, she lit up and she was like, that's a great idea. You have to do that. And so part of that was calling people who knew how podcasts worked because I had never done it before. So walking me through, well, how do you produce a podcast? What do you need? How much money do you need? Uh, so that was one part of it. And then the other part of it was going to Illuminations for funding because then we needed money to do all those things. And then the other part was going, hey, Darby, <laughs> do you want to host a podcast with me? <laughs> and I'm so happy she said yes. Yeah, so, I, was, I was happy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so together we created this this thing. And yeah, some of it was pretty easy in terms of like, we knew what we wanted or we knew what it needed to be, which was plot driven. We're not examining language in any depth. It's not about the ancient Greek language. It, it, that's not what we're going for. It was really plot driven. And Darby being a classicist and me being a, a theater director, we found we actually complemented each other really well. Yeah. yeah, it worked out. Yeah. And it was um, it was great because in terms of like actually writing the script, um, Sarah sort of started with the first couple of books, writing what the script would look like and then was like, is this right? Does this capture all of the things? And we sort of would then edit that together. And then I started trying to write in the same style that she was writing. So we sort of traded off and each wrote sections and then edited each other's sections and talked through it. And then we eventually had to cut a whole bunch out of it because, of course, inevitably two people who love the Odyssey are going to want to say everything about it and we wanted those episodes to be like 
not an hour and a half long, right? <laughs> right. I think that that is um, one of the things uh, that I really admired about the format too. Is is sort of what you're saying in that like you didn't get into the language of it, you didn't really get into the nitty gritty. You you focused your summaries uh, as a very like kind of fun you know cliff notes of it, with of each book in the Odyssey, and yet afterwards, in which you uh, go to the uh, interviews with different classicists and uh, who is it classicals earlier which uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll call I'll call myself on that one now uh, yeah classicist and uh, uh, forgetting her name but um, the theater director here at UCI uh, Annie Louie Annie Louie that's right um, that is where you kind of get into the the nitty-gritty and the stuff that is maybe more more tangible to to people who are really familiar with the Odyssey while simultaneously not being foreign to any casuals like myself because we just heard the summary and so we're still kind of caught up to speed. Um, was that was that very intentional in the formatting? Was that kind of how you were planning on doing it? Yeah, I mean, it was clear that we needed to put in some sort of spitfire summaries. You know, this isn't the, you don't have to read the Odyssey, just do this. No, you should still read the Odyssey, you know. One should still read the Odyssey. It's not a replacement for it, but sort of thinking about a student that might not have a cultural background who doesn't quite understand the plot or why it's exciting. We thought every episode needed to have two components. Too much summary would have been too long and just a bombardment. But what was exciting about the Odyssey for me was every time Darby and I talked about it and we would get excited about moments in the story. So it was clear that we needed to have some kind of conversation to happen as well as the summaries. And they couldn't at the same time because I mean we can talk about it for too long so <laughs> right and and I think that what is cool is the text is so rich there's so much there um, and you can see from the three different women that we interviewed they all had unique perspectives on it and different pieces of the Odyssey spoke to them um, and so we wanted to give that flavor to people because it's not just that it's a cool story but it's a cool story that people love and they all love it for different reasons and that is what might be something that's super compelling to students because for most of us who are in graduate school there was some professor that just loved and was so passionate about whatever they were teaching that that got you hooked and that's why you wanted to pursue that um, and so similarly we wanted to just give a taste of that to the casual listener who was interested in hearing about the Odyssey for the first time. And what what do you I mean I guess this is kind of a kind of a million dollar question but what do you think it is that that has made the Odyssey still a story that people as you say are so passionate about in 2020 a story that is kind of the basis for all stories mm -hmm. from great works of literature like Ulysses to I mean every adventure story is somewhat based on the Odyssey right I think yeah. um, um I think that the Odyssey is wonderful because it gives us this sort of heroic epic and this heroic scene, but Odysseus is in a certain way the everyman. He's not perfect. In fact, he's very flawed and he's arrogant at times and, and all of these things, and yet he's somebody that we identify with um, and who has to get himself out of bad situations, right? We all have to talk ourselves out of bad situations at some point. And so I think he's very relatable um, and that gives the story a lot of its staying power. But also for those of us who read the text um, either in translation or in the original, 
Homer or whom whatever people put this text together, right, were geniuses. It's an incredibly told story. It's told in this sort of like wacky order. We get Odysseus telling his own story to a group of people that are hanging on his every word. You get these fascinating callbacks to other places in the Odyssey. And you get all of these moments where you're unsure because Odysseus lies so much what's real and what's fake, right? Um, And I think that there's something just like tantalizing and fascinating to an audience about a narrator who can play with everything in such a way that you can layer after layer get deeper into this text and and see what's cool about it um and so that's why i think people really like it it's and it's i think it's really interesting to see that too that every man's story in ancient greece because it is kind of this like historical lens on the fact that like humans are human and like and and since really like the one of the earliest pinnacle foundational moments of storytelling like that has been a fundamental key component right that 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 is a that that is a consistent element now darby correct me if i'm wrong you are not new to podcasting nor podcasting about ancient greece no can i just say that she didn't tell me i did not know this about her um like well into dealing with this podcast with Odyssey and Chill, all of a sudden she just casually drops this knowledge that she's not new to podcasting about ancient Greece. <laughs> yeah, so um <laughs> Do tell. So I, I I started off a podcast um called The History of Greece, which is about the history of ancient Greece and um I am obsessed with the ancient Greek world. I have I fell in love with it when I was a kid, when I was first uh, taking classes, when I got fascinated with languages. I decided Greek was the first language I had to learn. I did it at summer camp and, you know, after like eighth grade or something, um, all sorts of crazy things like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I got really into the the history of Greece. And, and for me, because I'm also really interested in human evolution, um, I decided to start from what was the earliest time anybody inhabited Greece um, and and why? Because it's a landscape that is really hard to grow things in. So why is it that there are people there and then there are these civilizations that create this incredible literature that we still read to this day? Um, and, and so that was my, my interest in creating this podcast. But as it turns out, when you decide to teach yourself an entirely new discipline, it takes like 100 hours of research per episode. So um, trying to do that and write a dissertation uh, was really difficult. So the podcast has been on hiatus for a while. Um, although hopefully I will resurrect it in the future because I have a ton of material written and um, I would love to get back into it because I love this stuff. Absolutely. So what was the the kickoff moment for you? I mean, you mentioned it was it was childhood. It was uh, around eighth grade, you say, where, where it really kind of struck a chord with you. What was the kickoff moment? Why why did you as a as a child gravitate toward this so strongly? Was it the mythology, the philosophy? I think it was all sorts of things. So I, I went to an elementary school called Westland, which is a little tiny school that was founded in part by like Charlie Chaplin. Um, it was a school that was built for the children of blacklisted writers to protect them from the kind of bullying that they would get in the McCarthy era at school. And we studied the ancient Greeks in, I guess it would have been my fifth grade year. And I remember 
um, we each got gods that we had to do reports on and art projects about, and I got the muses. And so one of the things that I did was I looked into Greek literature um, because the muses are each uh, the patronesses of various parts of Greek literature. And, and that's how I became fascinated. And we, of course, read the Odyssey, or it was actually read to us as a story that the teachers read after lunch every day. And I loved the Odyssey, and I thought it was so cool. And so when I got a chance a few years later to take Ancient Greek in that summer period after eighth grade, I jumped at it, and I continued taking it through college. Uh, in your, in your guys' uh interviews because uh, I mean these are these are pretty comprehensive interviews with people who obviously are quite knowledgeable and quite passionate on the Odyssey was there a particular or and I'm sure there were to you know varying extents but was there like one particular insight you received which uh, up until this point like really radically changed your perception on the Odyssey or or greater storytelling on a whole oh that's a good question um, I don't know. There were like every interview had a tidbit of of just awesome knowledge. You know, I mean, the, even cutting the interviews was very difficult because they were much longer than what we present in the episodes. And we got to a point where it was just like every cut bleeds because it was all so fascinating. I don't know. I think in our the last episode when Dr. Alex Purvis was talking about book twenty four. Of the Odyssey, that was sort that was really fascinating, because up until that point, to me, it was always like, why is this here? Because it's so aggressively. I don't know if it's aggressively different from the rest of the Odyssey, or it just it feels like the end is book twenty three, and so, yeah, and and myself, as I'm sure a lot of other people have had this like question mark about it, and hearing her discuss it and and why it needed to be there and what it means i thought it sort of made me look at it in a different way and it gave me a different way of looking at the entire text i I sort of thought oh there's something really valuable about this idea that humanity can't stop itself from fighting and from having wars that Mm -hmm. in order to stop it it took a god it took that kind of figure to just go that's enough divine intervention mankind alone could not I was really struck by that idea. Yeah, I'll go with that one. That was that was a big aha moment. I don't know. What about you? <laughs> I think so I, I thought that conversation was incredibly productive and I really loved the insights into book 24 because I have always thought it was very strange um, and that was a great conversation. But I actually think that I found just asking each of the three people what their favorite scenes was the most fascinating part of the interviews. Um Especially, so talking to Annie, um, that scene with the scarf and Io just, I never found that scene particularly compelling. Uh, um, to, to elaborate just for the <laughs> listeners, if you could. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, and Annie has this wonderful description um, of it, but, and I will not do it that kind of justice, but essentially Odysseus is drowning because Poseidon has smashed up his ship and he's trying to get to shore in order to to get to the Phaeacians who are going to bring him home. And he just can't get there. And uh, this sea nymph shows up and gives him a scarf that will allow him to get safely to shore. Um, And he's supposed to strip off all of his clothes and take that and grab onto it and use it to get to shore and then cast it back into the sea to return it to her. 
And that and the Nausicaa scene um, with all of the young girls playing on the beach that then find Odysseus there, which was Andromache's, like one of Andromache's sort of favorite scenes from her favorite section of the Odyssey. All of that always felt to me like a prelude to Odysseus showing up at the court of the Phaeacians to tell his story. Because, of course, my master's thesis was about him telling his story and the sort of oral traditions and how they were represented in the Odyssey. Um, so all of that just seemed like, I don't know, a bunch of fun poetry about like pretty women, right? But actually, both of them made those stories really compelling to me. And especially the idea that, you know, this is one of the scenes with the with Nausicaa. Um, this is one of the scenes where we get to see what not just Greek women, but young Greek women are like, what their lives are like. We see them going to the river to wash these garments. Um, you get this playfulness. They're playing ball with one another. It's like a total scene that is so far from epic because it's so what we see, you know, young people doing today, right? They play ball together on the beach, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> wash, and, wash our clothes in the river. I yeah. mean, well, <laughs> maybe maybe not that, but but there are some really familiar pieces to it, um, and it's it's a moment where we get to see that described in this epic language, which is really cool. Um, and then we also have this sort of beautiful scene of of drowning, and Annie seemed to even see it as like a metaphor of of. Um, somebody being pulled out of a terrible situation and, and she talked about the different actors portraying it as either thankful or whatever it was that the character was feeling in that space. And it was cool to see the text come alive from those perspectives. Um, so each of the people that we talked to when they were talking about their favorite scene just like made a new light go off in the text for me. And that's cool as somebody who's read it so many times. Mm -hmm. Now, I also want to ask, I want to throw a question back to you guys that you have uh, posed to, I believe, every one of your guests. <laughs> uh, I haven't heard your guys' take on. Favorite translation of the Odyssey? The Emily Wilson for me. And I haven't read quite as many translations as Darby has, <laughs> but that one is the one that made it, at least for the purposes of what we were doing specifically, which was to make the plot accessible, that one to me did it so easily. And I think that's why I found it the most just plot wise, really, really clear. And I know, I can't remember in which interview, was it with Alex that we were talking about it? Because it feels like you're reading a novel. You forget that you're reading a poem, except for the fact that it's printed in a way that, that it's aesthetically obvious. Right. But yeah, the Wilson. But I encourage people to read whatever translations. <laughs> Far be it from me to throw my hat in the ring. Yeah. So I'll please, uh, Darby. Okay, so, so my, I have three translations that I like for different reasons. Um, I think if I were to ever teach the Odyssey, I would teach the Wilson translation. I like it. It's incredibly accessible. Um, I love her philosophy of translation, which she lays out beautifully in the introduction. I think that that is a text that doesn't make the Greek world feel foreign, it means that you can sort of dive into it. Now, as somebody who reads ancient Greek, I love the Lattimore translation because it is line for line identical in meaning to the Greek. So if I am having trouble with a line in Homer, I can go check it in the Lattimore translation. And that is incredibly convenient. And it's really just a useful tool to have. Um, and then the last one is um, Ian McKellen does an absolutely fantastic audiobook of the Fagels translation. And that was the first moment where I felt that the text was really an oral text because it's hard to imagine that this was originally a text that was recited rather than read. 
Um, especially when you're reading it. I mean, if you read the Lattimore translation, right, it's very archaic. It feels very red. Um, but when you hear Ian McKellen performing the Fagel's translation, he makes you believe that this should have been something listened to, right? It's just awesome. So, yeah, I like it for that reason. Ian McKellen has that ability, yeah. you know, <laughs> reading the Sears catalog. So yeah. he's, he's, That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I dated myself with the Sears catalog. You sure did? Which yeah. is prior to even sure my, well, I don't know, I'm like retroactively dating myself. <laughs> I don't know how that, okay. doesn't matter. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Sears. <laughs> Before we go, uh, Sarah, this was, um, you mentioned earlier, this podcast was uh, in part preparation for a uh, for a show you have coming up here at UCI, uh, Penelope Ad, um, which you'll be talking about more in depth on KUCI uh, this coming week. But if you want to just tell our audience briefly about what that is and what to expect. Sure. Um, so the Penelope Ad was written by Margaret Atwood author of The Handmaid's Tale. She wrote it as a sort of novella originally and then adapted it into a play. It's uh, what to expect. It's a retelling of the Odyssey from Penelope's perspective, Penelope's Odysseus's wife, and she's the one left at home. So it's her and her 12 maids. And they tell the story, the story posthumously. So it's from the perspective of Hades and it's recounting her life and particularly those 20 years waiting for Odysseus. Um, it's an all-female cast and I have the most amazing team of people on this. Be ready for the most fierce group of people you've ever seen on stage <laughs> with the most incredibly creative team around it. There's music that has been composed for the show by my wonderful friend Luke Shepard, who also composed the theme song for Odyssey and Chill. A lot of amazing movement. There's some humor and there's some heartbreak. There is a content warning because there's a lot of violence in it. Okay, well, yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for putting that out there. So then that'll be at the Claire Trevor Theater from February 5th through 9th. Definitely encourage listeners to check that out. I'll be there. And uh, you can grab tickets and find out more information at arts.uci.edu, and you'll uh, figure out the rest of your way there. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Thanks thank very much. Thank you for having us. Much appreciated. Have a good one, guys. You too. Yeah, you too. Thank you.